Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Sharon. I had a 40-year porn addiction. Porn was an unwelcome guest for 32 years of our marriage. I found hope and freedom when I attended a Gateway to Freedom weekend. And I found hope and the courage to begin my healing journey while attending Wives Care. Don't be like us and allow porn to wreak havoc in your lives. Reach out to Be Broken today. To learn more about Gateway to Freedom, 3-Day Intensive for Men, and Wives Care online groups, visit BeBroken.org or call 210-822-8201. That's BeBroken.org or 210-822-8201. Good day, listeners. Jonathan Darty here with another edition of the Pure Sex Radio Program. Pastors are regular men in a position of great responsibility. They're not immune to sexual temptations. So how can the church help pastors recover from sexual sin and strongholds? In this episode, our guest is Robert Posner. Robert and his wife Judy are the founders of 2416 Ministries, a ministry based on Proverbs 2416, which states, Though a righteous man falls seven times, he will get up, but the wicked will stumble into ruin. Robert shares his own story as a pastor who fell in sexual sin and his own journey of recovery and growth. We also talk about some of the unique challenges that pastors face due to their often isolated and elevated position, and what pastors can do to guard themselves from sexual misconduct, heal from sexual brokenness, and enter safe places for help in breaking free from sexual struggles and strongholds. To learn more about Robert and his ministry, visit 2416ministries.org. For more resources, visit BeBroken.org or check out links in today's show notes. And please rate and review the podcast after listening to it, because this really does help others to find it. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken, and we exist to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. Now, let's dive into today's conversation with Robert. Well, all right, Robert Posner, welcome to the program. It's good to be here. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on, Robert. And I want to just dive right in because I think you've got a uh, powerful story to tell. And then I think you also are going to bring some perspective to this issue of of talking about pastors and some of the uh, unique struggles that pastors have when it comes to sexual temptations. And then also maybe how we can talk about um, what can be done to help pastors to uh, repair when there has been brokenness, but then also maybe even prevent some of these things that we see happen in pastors' lives when it comes to, to sexual brokenness issues. So first, why don't you just tell us uh, uh, kind of your story and then how you've gotten into the specific space of ministry that you occupy right now, which really is in many ways uh, a, a ministry to pastors and leaders. Um, my story began when I was, um, I was raised in broken home. Um, not that that led to anything that I did, but it's just kind of where it, where things were, uh, in that process. When I found myself with my dad in his home, uh, I found, uh, pornography and, you know, his, uh, use or objectification of women was quite very evident. Um, and that, kind of began to plant seeds. I was in the early stages. I didn't understand it, didn't see it, but kind of made a connection as years went on. Um, And so pornography was something that I came across very young, I'd say at 10 or 11 in that range um, there. And then um, it progressed on, I would say on and off. It wasn't anything real 
regular. I became a Christian at 15. Um, and so there was a good stint there where I would kind of get away from it because um, obviously there was some more conviction <laughs> that added to that. And I began to understand the, the negative effects of that. Um, and then, you know, as I, as I felt as I grew in my faith and I felt called to ministry and followed that call, uh, it would it would be that same battle. It'd be an up. I, I'm, you know, going with God. Everything's great. Life's good. And then I, I found a pattern that every time I would find myself hitting a wall and I get discouraged and just uh, frustrated with life or frustrated with ministry, I would look for something to fill the need. And I won't say every time, but there was a good number of times when I would find that need in in fantasy and in pornography and things. And then I would immediately feel that conviction and the Holy Spirit's guidance. And, and I would repent and I'd move away from it and go into a long stint of being away from it for a while. Uh, the negative was it wasn't very controlling, I would say. I know certainly people can find themselves that in that place. And it felt that way when I was in it. But then I could get away from it. It didn't feel like it was controlling me. But it planted some seeds that. I found myself becoming, uh, it made it more susceptible when I did get into fantasy areas in my head that I would allow things to go on in my, my fantasy life that I knew, you know, were just highly inappropriate and highly uncomfortable and highly sinful and all of that and would be very destructive to anybody that was involved. And so, uh, that was, would go on, um, and I found myself in a place, um, finally, after about 27 years, 26 years of pastoring, um, where we had had a uh, college uh, young lady in our home. And for a, for a couple of years there, everything was healthy and normal. And the boundaries were not great, but they were they were OK. Uh, they weren't anything like what they were at the church, which was part of the problem. I let some of those boundaries down and then those thoughts uh, because of some struggles at church, struggles in other areas of my life, uh, I began to take that downward slide into um, pornography again. And that easily then created a growth in inappropriate thoughts towards this young lady. And she was, I want to say right up front and would say to anybody, um, uh, there she she never dressed inappropriate she never acted inappropriate there was nothing she ever did to deserve or cause you know what came of that um it was just me um letting my mind think on these things temptation would come and i i may push it away a time or two but it all it took was that one time of pulling it in and then thinking it through and then acting it out and leading to masturbation or to very inappropriate thoughts and then um, I would repent and go, and, you know, put that away and it would come right back a couple of days later. And, and it just was a constant battle for a couple of months there until finally one day um, I was going through that process again. My temptations were there and I was tempted to act out. And this time I said, you know, I had a thought in my head and the temptation was I can take a picture of her while she's not clothed. And I figured out how to do that. <coughs> and 
I did that multiple times. Each time it was a very common thing. I would repent. I would feel highly convicted, repent, delete the picture, delete it from everything I had. And, you know, just felt incredible shame and battle for that for a few days. And then I'd find myself going right back into that cycle again. And it just seemed to be that way. I just felt, and I was just getting more and more isolated from everybody in my life. Um, isolation was the just the only it, more isolated I got, the more the temptation got stronger and stronger until ultimately uh, one of those pictures didn't get deleted, ended up. Um, I was looking at some other pictures in my picture album and didn't realize that one of those pictures was on there and that picture was seen by somebody else. And it just, it just became public from that Mm -hmm. point forward. And that created the loss of the ministry. It created the, um, a brief separation for my wife and I, uh, we were separated for about six months and, um, uh, until eventually we were back in the home. Um, and I was back in the home. Um, we went through counseling and a number of things. Uh, I've also been through restoration with my own denomination. Um, did have an opportunity to make reconciliation or rest, uh, uh, you know, just apologizing and making things right with my church that I had to leave. Um, uh, I still go there occasionally, and my mother still attends there. Uh, I don't attend. Uh, we, uh, um, My wife and I now attend um, another church within our own denomination, though, and our denomination has been very gracious. I'm actually on a um, ministry or probationary period, and uh, we'll finish that up here in about a year. So um, that's kind of our story uh, in that process. We've been through a lot of counseling, a lot of therapy, um, worked in a lot of uh, sex uh, addiction groups. Um, and currently, I still have a group I meet with every week for my own benefit. And then from there, this last fall uh, in 2022, we started our own ministry to help others in that process. So, Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for sharing. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think it's uh, it's important for us to be able to kind of witness like the a real life. Uh, you know, what does this look like in real time, in real life? Um, I know that this, you know, we we basically just um, heard in you know about eight minutes, um, you know, stuff that spans multiple decades, right? Um, what I want to do is try to focus in on a few things that you brought up as it pertains specifically to some of the struggles that pastors face and, and what can maybe be done about this. One of the things that you mentioned, and I, I'd love for us to kind of unpack this a little bit, is in some ways there's an isolating aspect to the whole pastorate position. Can you talk a little bit about that and why that is so dangerous then for pastors when it comes to dealing with issues of sexual temptation or really any kind of temptation? Um, I, boy, isolation just kills us. Um, and I'm not talking about not being with your congregation because I mean, we can be surrounded by people and still be isolated. And that was certainly find myself in that own in that place. Meaning there was those relationships were friendly and they were nice. Um, 
and on the surface, they were all good. And, and many of them were good even under the surface. But it was just I was not being true to anybody about what I was struggling with. And I was isolated to a place where I felt like if I was honest, you wouldn't like me and you'd want to just shove me away. And that was, I think, part of the deceptiveness of what sin does. It just wants to further pull us away from other people and further pull us away from being true, being true to others, being true to the Lord, uh, being true to ourselves and who we are. And so um, I think for pastors, that becomes a real struggle because the constant fear is, I don't know. I, well, let me speak to it this way. My constant fear as a pastor was I don't want anybody leaving the church. Mm hmm. You know, I knew in my head there's nothing I can do about that. There's always people going in and out for various reasons. And sometimes it has nothing to do with the pastor. But I knew that if they really knew me and my struggle, they would definitely not want to be around me. Hmm. Um, and so I found it very I wanted to always make sure it was on a behavior that attracted people and not distracted people. And so it. There were times when it just felt incredibly, incredibly fake. And I hate to put it that way, but it was difficult because because I knew I was struggling with something and I couldn't talk to anybody. Or at least I thought I couldn't talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. So Do you think the some people that I've known for 20 years that knew every little thing outside of even I mean, my wife knows everything about me. And then you have these other people that know the next level, you might say. Um, I was afraid to even talk with them. Mm -hmm. To be honest, you think that some of not. that is just uh, the the way that um, kind of there's a perception maybe within the church that pastors are of kind of a different uh, mm -hmm. cut from a different cloth, so to speak. And 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 how can we? Uh, what would be your recommendations for trying to remove that um, sort of? Uh, plateau or remove that that image that is around the pastor that makes them almost seem other, like they can't be touched, they can't be challenged, they can't be um, allowed to be human, like, and actually talk about their problems. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe some things that can be done to try to even maybe structurally help churches be more healthy when it comes to their pastors? Um, I, I, this is going to, I don't know, it may sound weird, um, or unusual, but I, as a church as a whole, and I think even as local congregations, we are great about saying, well, everyone's a sinner, but in our head, we, we intellectually say that's true, but it, when it happens to even someone in the church, we're shocked by it. Someone spoke inappropriately to me. I don't understand why that happened in the church. You know, well, wait a minute. You just said everyone's a sinner and they were just sinning. You know? So I'm not saying we shouldn't be hurt by sin, but I am saying that we, we shouldn't be shocked by it. There's a measure of we should realize everyone in this room around us is sinning at some level, somewhere, sometime. And we need to understand that and be ready to bring healing and help in those moments. That includes the pastor, which is the one that shocks us the most. 
Um, and maybe it's because people have, you know, he's, or in the cases where they have female pastors, you know, but they, the, they're to be the leader, the example, whatever it might be. Um, well, if that's the case, um, then they need to be the leader in what it means at times to be even sent as they show that process, but they can't show it if they're not given grace to be real and honest. And I'm not saying that needs to happen every Sunday from the pulpit, but I think there needs to be a safe place, at least among the leaders of the church for that pastor to be human and real. And if it's not there, then it's going to be really hard for it to express it, him to express some of that. And, it, you know, it's like with everything else. We don't not everybody in the church needs to stand up every Sunday and disclose everything. The pastor doesn't need to either. But there needs to be a place and some people that that is the liberty to do that. And he's got to have that, too. And his family's got to have that. Or they're going to just there. There may come a point where it just breaks them. And that's what I think happened in my case. I had I felt unsafe to say anything. And so I apologize. You know, I had to apologize greatly for that. But it I look back and I'll be honest, I had some cohorts that were other pastors and I didn't give them that grace either. When they fell, I just pulled away. Right. And it was highly inappropriate of me and it was wrong of me to do that. So I let's talk about <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about a couple of things. One is um uh that I want to talk about first is let's talk about when there is uh, sin that is either discovered or disclosed by a pastor of some kind of sexual nature. Um, so, it, it, you know, it could be what you shared specifically in your story, or it could be pornography, or it could be some other, you know, sexual sin. What do you think are some best practices or some healthy ways, number one, for the church to respond to that? And number two, for the pastor himself to respond to that? Like, what are the best ways for like that to be dealt with? Do you believe? Um, and in my opinion, I think, um, yeah, he needs to have a place where he can sit down and talk to somebody, whether it's one, I think it needs to be more than one person in the church, but have somebody he can disclose and be clear about what everything that's on his plate that he's wrestling with and dealing with. Uh, that is not for, uh, let me beat you up with, but it's for to have an understanding of where his brokenness is, where his hurt is. Uh, he, they need to understand that, that his hurt has affected his family at some level, and they're hurting too. So I think the, the first step is once that's made aware, is not the first step is to cut and let's go find another pastor. The first step might be let's give some um, some some space for him to evaluate and get help and to figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to look very different based on what it is. And there there might be a place where we go, OK, this is so bad that we need to release you of this position, but we're not going to release you as a Christian, as a brother in Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to walk with you through this process and help you get where you need to be as long as you're willing to do that. Um, but I think initially give some space for that. In other words, if they can uh, help him find resources, help him help him financially with that in some way. 
Um, it would be much and very similar if someone in the congregation came forward to the pastor and then church kind of rallied around that family and nurtured and cared for them in some ways, um, do that with them. One of the things that my wife struggled with is people, she said, I, I don't know if it was real or not, but I felt like people are looking at me and just pitying me mm. and no one would talk to me about what I was really feeling and let me express my frustrations. And what that meant in her case was she needed someone to just sit down with her and just sit with her for a while. Kind of like Job's, you know, friends did it first, <laughs> just sit and hurt with her. Um, not just say, oh, I'm sorry. Can I pray with you? And then run, just be with her. And I needed that too. I needed someone who wasn't just, because I felt so disgusted and disgusting that I felt like no one would want to be around me. And it was such a blessing when I had a few people that would say, Hey, I just want to call and just check on you. How are you doing today? What's going on today? You know? And they just listened to me cry my heart out and frustration of the day or whatever it might have been. And um, I think that's the first step is just putting people around them that are just going to hurt with them. And then if they can find them that the appropriate things, don't judge, don't try to fix, just hurt with them and then point them in directions for help. Um, it sounds, yeah, it sounds to me like one of the things that you're saying that I really like is, is the the person the, the pastor the relationships um, have to be made central above the position or even the mm -hmm. calling and so can you oh, talk a little good. bit about that because I think some pastors um, and maybe you can speak to this there's there's such a uh, clear and maybe compelling call on their life to be a pastor that then maybe that role starts to define their identity in ways that is unhealthy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, yeah, that, I think that's the difference for the person in the congregation that may struggle with sexual sin. It, it doesn't seem to have the same connection to his job. He can be a computer programmer or a EMT worker, you know, or a construction guy or whatever. And it, it doesn't seem to have the same connection. So he can still get help. He can talk to people and no one sees, Oh, well, you need to quit your job. <laughs> Where in the pastor's case, the, 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 that failure is so close to who they are, or at least it feels that way. And I think creating that division for this time is healthy. Um, and him understanding, yes, there is a role. Yes, there is some leadership and an example that I'm supposed to set. But I'm also to set that in how I struggle with my own sin and with my own issues, which means a level of me being honest and open uh, with the right people and getting the right help. Um, and understanding that when I have that, I'm better able to serve in other capacities um, and to care for others. Uh, I think that's when we hurt, Paul tells us in Second Corinthians, we are then comforted and we're then able to give that comfort better to other people who are hurting. And so it, 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 it gives you that ability to serve with a, with a limp, as some people say. Um, mm -hmm. I think that helps. But um, yeah, the fix, working on the person, and that's a struggle. I would say that going back to your comment, um, it is hard. As pastors, we are so close to people in some of the most 
intimate struggles of their life that we see ourselves in that role. And it's hard to separate that of who we are as an individual and our position as a pastor. And when all of a sudden uh, I meet, I have a, several friends that have retired and they find it really hard to live a quote unquote normal life now that they've retired from pastoring because it, the ministry in Carl's involves so much of our being to serve and to care for people. Um, and that's why I think, I think that's part of why our sin affects people so much. So what would you say, uh, especially to the pastors out there or the, the, those who are feeling the call of God on their lives to be pastors, what would you say are maybe some of the best ways for themselves to, to set up for success in this area of living a life of sexual integrity? In other words, what are some, what are some appropriate guardrails to have? What are some kinds of relationships that they need to have in their lives? What does it look like for them to be able to uh, fulfill their call while at the same time ma maintaining and growing in their integrity and, and holding those lines of purity? Um, I would, I would definitely, I think learning the, learning the value of the word no, <laughs> it is a complete sentence as somebody else has said, I, I'm not, it's not unique to me by any stretch, but uh, it's a complete sentence and there, and it's okay to say, no, I need time for this. For me personally, for my family, for uh, my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with, you know, uh, and I went, I've been through this where, you know, I have aging parents and so I had to care for them and I had to, it took away time from church and, and just having the ability to do those things and to understand that I have to keep some healthy boundaries in those areas. Um, and, and as well as keeping those boundaries in relationship to other people. Um, because I was in a, um, and, and I, people, because we give so much of ourselves and we pay attention, if you're a pastor that has a heart for people, which most, every pastor I know does, or they wouldn't be a pastor, but you got a heart for people, so you're giving to them and they're longing for that. And it instantly makes a connection. And sometimes you can, and I say this, you can be as ugly as I am and still people still look at you and go, yeah, but you're, you care for me. And so I want to be closer to you. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes intoxicating. It, it builds that ego. And, and so I want to have them closer. And, and next thing you know, you, you can get very inappropriate and, and, and get your mind in very unhealthy places because you're reading what they're doing and they're just appreciating your love and your grace that God's working through you. And your reading is you're this great guy who's just their hero. And, you know, and then if you haven't been developing things at home with your wife, you can start transferring what should be going to your wife to the other person. Mm -hmm. and so building those, some of those healthy boundaries where you have time to keep your relationship fresh with your wife and growing in that area. And you have boundaries so that when people may find themselves in an unhealthy attraction for you, you're able to keep that at a distance and, and not need them. To need One other thing I, I wanted to touch on is because obviously in your story, it's a, you were able to uh, discover by God's grace 
a new calling in your life. Talk a little bit about the maybe the the grieving that a pastor who has let's say lost his initial ministry, why grieving is necessary, but also why there is a need for a Christian to remain hopeful that God can do more in and through their life that doesn't require a particular position with the title of pastor on it. Can you just talk a little bit about that healing process that almost like God sort of re-envisioning a new calling for your life? Mm. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, this isn't unique with me. Somebody said it to me and it was helpful, but, and I've, it's been stayed fresh in my mind. God knew when he called you as a pastor that this day would come. And I, I struggled with that at first. Did he really? And I, I, I know in his sovereignty, he absolutely did. Um, but then I, I just hard it. I found it hard to mesh that. It, it took me a while to make sense of that. And, and then as, as you read through scripture, to be honest, you, you see that in every leader in scripture, except for Jesus, obviously. Um, uh, every one of them had some brokenness in their life, and God knew that, and he called them anyway. And so he's called us. Now, so he doesn't make this event happen, but he has allowed that to happen, and from it, he can take that negative, horrible sinful decision we've made and make something good of that. And I think that's part of that second Corinthians where, you know, comfort us with the comfort we received. And so as I have grown to work through the, the loss of a church of relationships that will never be regained in this life, some have, and I'm thankful for that, but some of not many have not. And as I've worked through that and had to grieve and, and hurt, and it, even in one particular relationship, I had to bury it. I did the physical process of of burying, it dug a hole, buried it, said, Lord, this is yours. I can no longer, you know, I, that relationship is probably dead for the rest of my life. And, and because of that, I, I give it to you. And um, I had to move forward in, in some of those areas and the relationships that were like that. And, um, and that it took time to work through that grief and to come to a place to go, okay, this will be made right in eternity. That's the promise and the hope we have in Christ. But in the meantime, I still, you know, if he knew this would happen in my life and he still called me to ministry, then he, he's probably not done here either. So I needed to see that. Um, and so as I began to, see that I began to pray about, okay, Lord, what do you, what would you have us do? And, um, I even asked somebody, how will I know? And I remember one of my friends said to me, I don't know, but I imagine it'd be pretty much like it was the first time. <laughs> and it was, it just felt like, okay, yeah, it was the same, felt the same way. My wife confirmed it. Others who were confirming that calling in that direction. And so I just started taking steps in that direction. And, and, uh, as I did, I saw God work and answer prayers and, and bring relationships and give opportunity and so on. Um, so that's um, that's the hope, I would say. That's why we chose the name for our ministry, Proverbs 
24:16 because it says the righteous man will fall seven times. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he will get back up because in Christ we can get back up. But the contrast of the passage is that without Christ, you won't get back up. You'll just be destroyed by your sin. Yeah. Well, Robert, and as we, in a sense, we get to resurrect again yeah. because of Christ. <laughs> yeah. As we're kind of coming to the close here, I, I want to ask you uh, a question and then and also encourage you to point people to your resources. But it's sort of a two part question. One is um, what encouragement would you have for for pastors out there and their families? Um, and then the other question is, what would you encourage uh, church members to do to try to invest and encourage and support their pastors um, in maybe even richer and better ways than they've done to this point? Um, let me start with the church members real quick. On the church member side, give space for your pastor. Uh, and even if your pastor is like some I know, that are very go-getters and aggressive and work will really work hard for the church. You need to force then him and his family to have time away. It just time to seek healthy activities for them as a family. And, and I mean, literally, if that's what it takes, you look at them and say, okay, well, you're just taking this time off. You know, we're going to schedule someone to come in for you. We're going to do this, do that. And it's not to get rid of you. It's because you need time off. Um, and I I had someone that looked at me, and this is something that was a great sense of encouragement, but it, it also scared me. One of my leaders said to me after the fact, I could see there was a problem. Something was wrong in you. And I was just was scared to say something to you. Well, that convicted me that I wasn't approachable, number one. But number two... I yearned for them and when looking back would have just so wished for they would have just stepped in and took control anyway and said, you need to get help. I don't know what's going on, but you need to get help. Yeah. And so from a congregation side, push a little harder into that if that's seen, but give them the benefit. out. It's not that I want to get rid of you. It's just you need to have rest um, from the pastoral side. Um, I think that just needs to understand that's a part of your ministry. Taking time off is a part of it. It's an example as well. Jesus stepped away from the crowd. We need to step away at times and get refreshed and renewed. Um, and then ministry-wise, um, our goal it, is 2416ministries.org. That's our website, 2416ministries.org. And our goal is to just be there for pastors and their wives. Um, to help them when they struggle, we can be a sounding board if you need to call and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. What do I need to do? Um, you know, here's the beauty of that. I'm not going to leave your church. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not here as your judge. I'm here as a fellow traveler in the journey of my Christian faith and uh, work through in my own struggles of life. And so we're going to be partners together in that process. So, yeah. Um, well, Robert, thank you so much for uh, being transparent and open with your story. And uh, we'll definitely point folks to those resources. And, and thank you for being on the program today. Oh, it's my honor. It's my honor. Thank you for, and it's definitely the Lord's work. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah. To be a part of it. 
Well, listeners, we're always glad that you're with us. And, and our job is to help you take your next, next best step on your transformation journey. And so please reach out to us so we can help you do that. And we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.